Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
had bad eyes. He had the eyes of a killer. You could see how frightening they were. The frigid glare of a killer. Who's the worst American gangster to ever live? Now, I know what you're saying. Jesse, they're all bad. Uh, Yeah, obviously they're all bad. But the human mind tends to do this thing, especially when it comes to bad guys, is we lump them all together. We act like they're all, well, they're all criminals. They're all the same. No, they're not all the same. I'm not endorsing anybody's lifestyle, but let's be honest. Are there degrees in your field? Are there levels in your field? What, what's your field? You in construction? You build houses, maybe? All house builders the same? Are all the people on your home building crew the same? Even fields with, you know, a lot more higher education. Doctors. I know we have docs listen to the show. You email me all the time. I know you're all doctors, right? Get all get, get you all in a group. You got 8,000 years of college. Are you all the same? Or are there some really good ones? Are there some morons? Are there some lazy ones? Crime's no different. Quote, bad people are no different. There are degrees. And there was a man, unless you're a mafia nut like I am, there was a man you probably haven't heard of, or maybe you've vaguely heard his name, and he was probably the worst ever. His name was Carmine Galanti. He was born, stop me if you've heard this before, to poor Italian immigrants in New York City. I know you're going to find that shocking. A bit of a theme here. He was actually born in Harlem. Now, you think of Harlem today as the black part of town, which for the most part it is. It was not that way in the early 1900s. It was still poor, but it was the Italian part of town. For some reason, I'm sure there's somebody who specializes in socioeconomics out there, wherever the, whatever the newest poor racial group is, Harlem's where they go. And Harlem was the Italian part of town. Now, let me ask you something, and it's a question I normally think I know the answer to. Maybe you disagree. Are bad people... And good people, but we're talking about bad people at the moment. Are bad people born or are they made? That whole nature versus nurture argument. And full disclosure, I am, for the most part, fully on board with the made thing. And I'm only on board with that because all the people I talk to you about, especially the criminals, whenever we go cartels or drug lords or stuff like that. As I read, 
And as I you know, watch a documentary on them and I read about them, it is almost universal that they grow up with just a different value system because of the environment around them. I mean, I think about my own life and the values I have. Granted, I'm, I've basically blown all of those, but I was still, you know, raised with values. You know, this is right and wrong. I was taught lessons. Same lessons most of you were taught. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. What if, what if you were raised to cheat? To gamble, to lie, to steal, to stab, to shoot. And so many of these guys we talk about, they weren't just, you know, well, they're just, they're just born that way. It came out shooting people. No, they were born into a world that you don't understand, that I don't understand. I wasn't raised in that world, but you see it at an early age. Except for Carmine Galanti. He is, of all the people I've read up on, all the people I've watched a documentary on, it looks like he was born bad. It looks like he was born with pieces of him missing that other people normally have. Their family was by no means wealthy, but they weren't even, you know, destitute. Sometimes you can make the argument, wow, they were so poor, he had to... He had to drop out of school. This is the case lots of time. He had to drop out of school and then ended up, you know, getting in with some gangsters. And it kind of went from there. Carmine Galante was the gangster. You know, you always wonder, or at least I do, when you hear all those other stories about this guy. This, he, he dropped out of school when he, was, when he was 16 and he started running with the wrong crowd. To which I always ask, you know, at least in my mind, well, who's the wrong crowd? Where did they come from? Where the all right? Who, tell me about those guys. Carmine Galante was the wrong crowd. His parents were not wealthy, but they had food. They still couldn't keep a leash on their son. He was in reform school. All of his siblings were fine. By the way, I should mention, Carmine Galante was in reform school by the age of ten. By the age of ten, my eleven-year-old last night at one point in time, walked up to his mother and just kissed her on the cheek and spent the rest of the evening sitting by himself in the office drawing dinosaurs. He's, he's the artsy type. That's an 11-year-old boy. That's an 11-year-old boy. Spent some time jumping on the trampoline. Wrestled with me a little bit. You know, an 11-year-old boy. By the time Carmine Galante was a year younger, he was in reform school. At the age of 15, 15, what were you doing at 15? When I was 15, I would run around the neighborhood with my buddies. Maybe cause a very little bit of trouble, nothing major. Go back to the house. Drink Mountain Dew, eat pizza, play Mario Kart. A 15-year-old. Maybe maybe shoot some hoops. 15. He's 15. Carmine Galante dropped out of school at the age of 15 and started his own street gang. At the age of 15. He didn't drop out and join one. 
He dropped out and said, I'm going to start my own. I'm the worst one around here. Oh, did I mention at the age of 15, he beat the crap out of an adult male and was not sent to juvenile. He was sent to prison for two and a half years. Can you imagine a 15-year-old boy getting sent to prison and what would happen to him there? Carmine Galante did fine. Carmine Galante, at the age of 15, walks into prison and says, this isn't bad, actually. Finally, I am home. These are my people. Eventually gets out. And, well, he's a disaster. He's evil? Are we allowed to say that about people, Chris? I mean, anybody outside of the Nazis, we don't usually use that word, but... Uh, he's 15. Okay, he just got out of prison. I think he was 17 and a half, maybe 18. It gets worse from here. I'm not kidding. Hang on. Carmine Galante gets out of prison. Uh, he's, I mean, 15 years old, walks into prison. When he gets out, he's going to learn his lesson, right? Nah. He gets out. He is a hijacker. He's a robber. He is a murderer. He was sticking up a payroll. For, for those of you not unaware of what a payroll is, especially back in the day, this is pre-electronic money age. Employees were oftentimes paid in cash. You went down to the bank. Somebody from your business went down to the bank or the bank sent a driver. Driver shows up in front of your business with a boatload of cash, walks in, hands it to you. You hand it out. You put vehicles like that in front of Carmine Galante, he's going to think, these are ones I can take. Why would I not take it? Uh, He takes one. Cop tries to stop him. He shoots the cop dead. Without hesitation, shoots a police officer dead. Even most gangsters in America would not do such a thing. That wasn't his first time. Shoots him dead without hesitation. They try... To convict him of this, all the witnesses had a change of heart and decided they weren't going to testify against Carmine Galante. He doesn't stop. He's not in the mafia yet, by the way. Obviously, the mafia knows about him. Again, I cannot stress this enough. He's not under the influence of others. He is the influence. That's who he is. He continues to rob. He once again gets in a confrontation with a police officer, tries to shoot this one too. Like I said, this is not a man who hesitated the last time or felt bad about it. 
he missed and hit a six-year-old child. By the grace of God, the child did not die, and by the grace of God, the cop at least had the guts to testify against Carmine Galante. So at the age of, I think it was 21, he gets sent to 12 years in Sing Sing Prison. If you don't know about Sing Sing Prison, just understand. I don't know the conditions of it these days or even if it's still around. Back then, not where you wanted to be. Ever seen Shawshank Redemption? That's Sing Sing Prison, basically. Well, I guess I should clarify. When I say not where you want to be, it's not where you want to be unless you're Carmine Galante. You see, he got along just fine in there. At one point in time, him and a couple other young and -and up-and-coming Italians who would later on join the Gambino family and the Bonanno family, they try to kill a guy. Other people jump in. Carmine Galante gets stabbed in the stomach and stabbed in the shoulder goes to the prison doctor. They stand in front of him and say, tell us who stabbed you or you're going to get three more years in prison. Carmine Galante, for all his faults, was the gangster's gangster. Nah, I'm good. I'll take the extra three years. Should be noted at this point in time, they actually brought this guy in. He was so different. They brought this guy in. And they diagnosed him. They, they said, look, we need, to, we need to sit this guy down with, with the prison psychologist. The, there's something wrong. Something's missing. Bring him in. Sit him down. And the, the prison psychologist says, this guy is a psychopath. And that's not, I'm not trying to be mean. That's not me making up a word. They actually said this guy is a, a diagnosed psychopath. He is missing parts of himself. He's also intelligent. He speaks four languages by the time he's by the time he's older. Now, remember what I said earlier when I told you that story? I believe it was last week about Albert Anastasia, how prisons and jails have scouts for the mafia. Sing Sing Prison was no different. There were a million mob-associated guys already in there. There are eyes all over the place. He looks around, and they say, "Uh, hey, mob guys on the outside, this is somebody you're going to want to talk to. And sure enough, he did. He gets out of prison. Joe Bonanno, who was the massively powerful head of the Bonanno crime family, takes him in. And Galante is Joe Bonanno's right-hand man. And a good right-hand man. He loved Joe Bonanno. He would murder anybody you told him to murder. He loved murdering people. Really genuinely enjoyed it. And there was another extremely violent gangster I'll tell you about another time named Vito Genovese or Vito Genovese, depending on who you're talking to. I can't, I can't ever figure it out because everyone says it a different way. Vito Genovese was a mob boss who had to flee to Italy. This is World War II era, okay? Had to flee to Italy because America was after him. You remember how Benito Mussolini took power as a fascist in Italy and then promptly started murdering all the mafia guys over there? He murdered hundreds of them, thousands of them. Well, Vito Genovese decided, well, 
there's a way around this, and he just got to be best friends with Benito. Started bribing him, became his friend, and there was an American journalist in New York named Carlo Tresca. And Carlo Tresca, he didn't like Benito Mussolini, and he started printing some really ugly things about Benito Mussolini, but, I mean, why not? What's the danger? He's an American. Benito's clear over there in Italy. It's not my problem, right? Uh, Except there was a problem. You see, Vito Genovese knew Carmine Galante really well, knew he would have no issue with this whatsoever. Ring, ring, makes a phone call, says, hey, that Carlo Tresca guy, yeah, Benito doesn't want him alive anymore. No problem. Click, Carlo Tresca, dead. You can still see the article to this day. Now, obviously, a psychopath, an intelligent psychopath who speaks several languages, this is the type of person who rises quickly in the mafia world. And he did. And eventually they had a gigantic meeting, a gigantic meeting in Sicily. You can actually still see, I think the hotel they had it in was still standing to this day. I'm talking Lucky Luciano, Everybody was there, and the meeting in Sicily was about heroin. You see, this old way of thinking that the mafia had these rules about dealing drugs, and you weren't allowed to deal drugs, and we don't deal drugs here, Uh, that wasn't really true. Now, some of them had rules, but basically the rule was, don't get caught dealing drugs, and if they caught you, you'd get killed. But they kind of knew you were going to. And look, let's be honest, the money's absurd. If you're in any kind of crime, especially the organized type, you can choose to make, and I'm making up these numbers, you can choose to make $500 a week gambling, $500 a week from running prostitutes, $500 a week from hijacking trucks, And ignore the fact that you can make $10,000 a week running drugs. But if you do ignore that fact, all of a sudden the crew across the street who does not ignore that fact is going to have a lot more men, a lot more power, and you're going to end up in a trunk with a bullet in your head at some point in time. It's a game of survival. You need money. You need power. It was never believable, and it is never believable, that any organized crime group is going to ignore the money that comes with drugs. And they have a big meeting in Sicily. And they work some things out. Hang on. this gigantic mafia meeting in Sicily. Now you ask why Sicily understands something. I am not discounting 
the power the American mafia once had. It's clearly fallen way off. Yes, it's still there. It's fallen way off. I'm not discounting that power. But the American mafia did gangster stuff compared to the Sicilian mafia in the same way the WNBA plays basketball compared to the NBA. That's what they do in Sicily. That's what they did. That's what they currently do. That's what they're going to do. Do you remember Brandon Darby, our great cartel guy who comes on the show? He talks about the Mexican cartels all the time. Do you remember what he told us in case you don't? The Mexican cartels, you know, those mega, mega powerful cartels we like to look at with our jaw hanging open. They make billions. They have all these, you know, a hundred, a thousand guys, the machine guns. These guys must rule the world. They're the third most powerful crime organization on the world, in the world, behind the Russians and the Italians. Sicily is where it's done. It's where all these guys came from. Sicily invented it. Sicily still does it. Sicily's always going to do it. That's just a fact. So when they have this big meeting in Sicily, it's the American gangsters and it's the Sicilians. And they have to work out heroin. They have to figure out a way to get it into the country, a way to do it smartly. You know that movie? I'm sure you've heard of it, even though most of you maybe haven't seen it by now, called The French Connection. It's an old Gene Hackman movie. You've at least heard of it. Mitchell, have you heard of it? I know Chris is an idiot and he hasn't heard of it. I know you've heard of it. The French Connection is not the name of a movie. The French Connection is the name of the drug route. Started in Turkey, where they were getting the opium, moved to Lebanon, moved to France, Marseille to be specific in France. Remember when I have told you about the docks in any town? Any place, a big port city is big crime, always, 100% of the time. Well, it went to Marseille and then to America. They were figuring out a way to get heroin into America. And that route I just told you about is called the French Connection. It's actually what the movie's about. Again, they named the movie after the drug route, not the drug route after the movie. Well, we get back to the States, Carmine Galante and all his gangster friends. And Carmine brings some Sicilians with him. Now, this is kind of a racist derogatory name, so don't go calling your Sicilian buddy this unless he has a good sense of humor. But they were called Zips. They called them Zips. It was not in any way uncommon for American mafia guys to bring Zips from Sicily as muscle, As assassins, Carmine Galante viewed them as being extra loyal. We'll get back to that here in a couple minutes. They were killers. They also lacked compunction. Because of their culture, where they came from, they would kill anyone. Cops, women, children, anybody. An American mafia guy would not, in general, unless you're Carmine Galante, kill a cop. Almost never would kill a woman or a child. It's just not what they did. Zips, no problem. Where are you killing him? That famous gangster. We've ever actually never done one on him before, Chris. Carlos Marcello from New Orleans. I called him Marcello last time because I've heard him call that before. And a bunch of my New Orleans buddies screamed at me that it's Marcello. So I don't want to upset the New Orleans people, Marcello. 
He used to do something really terrible. He would get orphans from Sicily. He would, if he wanted somebody killed, he would bring orphans from Sicily in, send them out, murder them, and have the orphans go meet you know, their American contact after they committed the murder, and then he'd murder the orphans. And he brought in orphans from another country because they were completely untraceable. He, he thought no one cared about them anyway, which he was kind of right, and no one would realize they're gone. So you, now you have a murder committed by somebody who no one cared about to begin with and now doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, like I said, not great people. Bringing me back to Marcella or, or to uh, Galante. Montreal, Toronto, Canada. We like to view our friends to the north as being just a polite country of snow and maple syrup. But you need to understand the largest concentration especially back in the day, I don't know if this is still the case, but the largest concentration of Italians outside of Italy was not New York City. It wasn't Chicago. It was Canada. There was something there. I don't know all the reasons behind it. And Canada was big time, big time in the mafia world. Joe Bonanno has this great now underboss, Carmine Galante, wants to run the heroin in from Canada, sends Galante up to Canada. Unsurprisingly, Galante gets the Canadian drug business going, gets it going really quickly, and is a little too violent even for the gangsters up there. If you showed up with a shipment late, Galante would just shoot you. The guy, I cannot stress this enough, if you read enough about him, he terrified other gangsters. Everybody was scared to death of him. He murdered so many people in Canada. Finally, the Canadian authorities, after not being able to pin anything on him, unsurprisingly, just flat out kicked him out. They're like, please, just go back to America. Go. He gets back to America, and now the worst happens for him. He had been running all this heroin, everything was going fine, and there was a gigantic drug agency then. It's kind of what you know the DEA to be today, but it was something different back then. And they were good. And we had mandatory minimum sentencing for drugs, and he gets back to the United States of America. Boom. Busted. He's facing a 20-year prison sentence, and wouldn't you know it, Chris, the first trial ends up being a mistrial because the jury foreman has a long fall in an abandoned building and breaks his back. Nobody ever found out why. Hey, it happens to the best of us, right? Whoops. Stumbled into this abandoned building and fell down an elevator shaft. He he does, however, have another trial. And he's convicted to 20 years in prison. 20 Years, mandatory minimum, and I believe he was 57. I know he was in his 50s when he went. He goes to prison. While he's in prison, the Gambino crime family, remember, Galante was in the Bonanno crime family. The five families kind of work together sometimes, kind of murder each other sometimes. In general, the thinking is they're supposed to be under the same commission and they're all supposed to work together. Obviously does not always work out that way. While he's in prison, the Gambino crime family, which is long known to be the biggest and most powerful of the five mafia families, takes over the heroin rackets in New York City. 
Carmine sits in prison. Carmine starts stewing. Carmine is angry. Finally, after 12 years because of a technicality, he gets paroled. Not 20, 12. Carmine gets out, and the Gambino crime family has taken over heroin in New York City. And they're running heroin out of the various pizza shops. The Gambino family also ruled, isn't this kind of funny, all the pizza in New York City. They controlled all the supply lines, the sauces, the cheeses, everything else, and they ran all the pizza shops. Well, remember, we're dealing with Carmine Galante here, and he doesn't want to hear about the most powerful family in New York. And he also doesn't want to hear that there's a new interim boss of the Bonanno family. He essentially walks out of prison and says, oh, I'm the boss. Any Anyone have any issues with this? Of course, he murders a few people, but yes, I'm the boss now. I'm running the Bonanno family. And then these Gambino pizza parlors start to go up in flames. Quite literally. And the Gambinos get mad about it. And Carmine Galante says, well, oh, you're mad? Well, I've got a solution for that, too. The Jesse Kelly Show. Gambinos are clearly not pleased with the fact that Carmine Galante is burning down their pizza parlors, blatantly taking them over and running heroin out of them. They didn't discover this until years later when somebody was caught with an apron with a bunch of bundles of cash in it heading back to Italy. (laughs) So Galante just starts murdering members of the Gambino family. Remember, born bad even other gangsters didn't act like this murdered his own family murdered members of the Gambino family just bad you ever heard of Frank Costello as a quick side note before we come to the end of our story Frank Costello was the gentleman's gangster They called him the prime minister. Remember how I said there are degrees, there are levels of things? Frank Costello was, I mean, he didn't really believe in violence. Very much believed in bribery. He was a bad guy. He even said by his own admission, he said, look, when I die, don't tell people I sold Bibles for a living. He was a gangster, a bad guy, but again, Frank Costello would do everything possible to avoid harming you. Carmine Galante hated Frank Costello. And when he got out of prison, Frank Costello had by then passed away. And Costello was widely respected in the crime community, in the in the legitimate community. Politicians, businessmen, they all showed up at his funeral. Widely loved, widely respected. And they built him one of those big, ever seen one of those big, uh, they're big in the South, Chris. One of those big basic, I, I'm sure there's a word for them that's escaping me right now. Like, a, it's not a tombstone, dude. It's like an above ground tomb with doors on it and stuff. Like, you walk in, it's like a, like, I don't know even know what you'd call it. A crypt. Yes, a crypt. Costello had one of those. 
Norman Galante threw a bomb in his. I'm not even making that up. The man was dead, threw a bomb in it, and blew the doors off of it. A bad human being. Now, there's a shelf life on that. Even though you're the scariest guy in the world, there is a shelf life on that. Galante, he's actually on camera saying, nobody's ever going to kill me. They wouldn't dare. Eh, They would dare. Carmine Galante goes to Joe and Mary's Diner on July 12th, 1979. Joe and Mary's Diner is, if you've never been to New York City, you you wouldn't understand. But just try to picture this. And you people who've been to New York City will know exactly what I'm talking about. There, it's, it's just the coolest city. I highly recommend you go. As soon as people stop dying there, I highly recommend you go. It has all these little diners and little shops. The last time I was there, I had to walk a couple blocks for a, a media gig I was doing. And so I start looking around for restaurants. And one of the highest rated little diners there was this little breakfast place. And you can't picture it, you know, when you're looking on your phone at a map, you know, oh, cool, I'll stop by, grab some eggs. It's my thing. I go and I do a double take at the diner, and I don't even know why it surprises me anymore. And I am not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. Ten feet wide, the storefront. Ten feet wide. You look into this diner, there is a counter Going down the middle of it, on the right side of the counter is the flat top and where two or three people are actually making the food. On the left side are stools that are uh, nailed into the ground, screwed into the ground on the countertop where people are eating. Behind those people is maybe, maybe two and a half feet of space to walk by them to get to the back. And there's nothing in the back either. There's there was I think it was one extra table sitting back there. And people would just crowd around, and you just learn to crowd around. New York City is old, and it is tiny, and people just get used to it. The spaces are tiny. Spaces are at a premium there. They cost a fortune. This highly rated little breakfast joint, and it was packed. And there were people waiting for to go food down the block, packed. Just a tiny little thing. If you sneezed in there, you'd give yourself a concussion. It's this small. New York is small. Even I, I've been there a couple times now. Granted, I've been there plenty of times when I didn't have any money, but I've been there a couple times now when someone else was paying, and they'll put you up in some fancy hotel room. And fancy hotel room. I'm doing the air fingers quotes thing. Last time I went, Chris, I never told you this story. They booked me. It was a separate company. I'm not going to go into it. They booked me a $500 a night hotel room. I was only there for one night. And I told him, I'm like, I don't need, I mean, this is, this is me. Everybody knows I'm fine in the Super 8. <laughs> but they're like, no, hey, we want to treat you right. It's just one night. Or they're doing that steak dinner thing. It was the smallest room you've ever seen in your entire life. I walked in. and It's just, that's New York. New York is small. And I'm not bagging on the hotel. It was fine. It was great. But everything is small, and you have to learn to accept that when you get there. Which brings us to Joe and Mary's Diner, July 12th, 1979. Crap. 
Hang on a sec. to get to the perennium sunning chris i need you to do me a favor and actually look up the dictionary definition and print out for me the dictionary definition of what of perennium please do that on the company computer please i just look it's all about efficiency here now carmine galante july 12 1979 walks into joe and mary's diner why did he walk in there his cousin owned the place his cousin was getting ready to go on vacation in Italy. And Carmine Galante loved Joe and Mary's Diner. He went there a lot. If a lot of people want to kill you, let me just give you a piece of advice. Don't go anywhere a lot. Now, I should note, remember those extremely loyal zip bodyguards he had? He had them with him, kept them with him at all times. They killed a lot of people for him. They were known to be frightening. One of them was, I guess, 6'7 and blonde. The common thing people don't realize is a lot of Sicilians are not, you know, dark-haired like you, like, like you picture. There are a lot of blonde-haired, blue-eyed ones. They head out back. There's a little patio area where a couple tables are set up. And they have a nice lunch with some wine. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Carmine Galante goes out back of Joe and Mary's diner, has a lovely lunch by all accounts, couple tables set up in the back. Again, this is another one of those very narrow restaurants like my breakfast one I told you about. Little patio area, area in New York City, especially if you're a restaurant, you have to maximize every single inch of space because it is all precious. Out back, finishes his meal. Now, Carmine, his nickname was The Cigar because he apparently always had one in his mouth. Finishes his meal, fires up a stogie, chilling out. The two bodyguards are there. Three masked men burst through the door of the restaurant with shotguns and pistols and kill everyone. Except for the bodyguards, mind you, they walked out unscathed. Didn't fire a shot. One of them later on ended up getting a nice promotion. I wonder how that happened. You can now Google Carmine Galante 
and you will see his death. You see, they didn't allow reporters in there, but one enterprising soul crawled on the rooftop of the building next door and snapped pictures of Carmine Galante. They ran in the papers. You'll see him there bloody. There's a drain beside him and his blood is draining down it. It's kind of cool looking. He has a left eye that is no longer there. I'm almost positive, although I don't know this for a fact, I'm almost positive that was done after death. That was not in any way uncommon for them to shoot one of your eyes. You remember that guy Albert Anastasia had killed. They shot out both of his eyes. His left eye is missing. Cigar still firmly planted in his mouth. There is some argument about the cigar, though. Some say Joe Coffey is a New York police detective who was there. He swears he never touched the cigar. The guy clinched down on the cigar as he was getting shot to pieces, and that's why it was still in his mouth. Others say the cops planted it there. Either way, I choose to believe in the cooler sounding thing, and that's that him, he died with a cigar in his mouth. That man was born bad. And it wouldn't matter how many times you sent him to prison, how many times you beat him, shot at him, stabbed him. That guy's going to do bad things. We don't like to have this conversation ever. And there are a couple different reasons behind it. We don't like to have the conversation about The guy's just bad. We don't like to have it because we don't want that standard applied to us, do we? I mean, the other guy's bad. You you just made a mistake. I do the same thing. Oh, man, that dude, that's a bad guy. Jesse, you did something terrible yesterday. Oh, I screwed up. Everyone does it. We don't like that, that same standard applied to us, human nature. That's one. Two, the Christian in all of us, except for Chris, the Christian in all of us likes to believe in redemption. And I'm kidding about that just being a Christian thing. That's a human thing, right? Everybody likes a good redemption story. Rags to riches, started out bad, turned around good. But, you know, if you talk to a cop, And they'll never say this publicly, and they'll never say it on camera. But I'm friends with a lot of cops. Probably not the most surprising thing to you. They'll tell you people don't change. For the most part, people don't change. And a cop, as much as I disagree with this, and even though they really disagree with it, they will tell you, I could clean up society a lot. If you let me lock away teenagers for the rest of their lives. And uh, and it's, again, not a conversation you can ever have with them publicly. But I I obviously mortify the first time I ever have this talk. I'm like, what what are you talking about, man? He's like, dude, I've been a cop for 20 years. Every one of these little hoodlums I bust at 15, 16, I'm busting the guy for murder or armed robbery by the time he's 22 or 23. 
every single one of them. They don't go away. Cops know who all the criminals are. Do you know why cops know who all the criminals are? Because they've always been criminals. Because the cops have known them since they were children. And we don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking about that. I love the stories of someone turning their life around. But there's this thing happening right now in the country, and I understand that this is a big leftist thing. Because part of being a leftist, I don't actually, for the first time ever, I don't mean this to be insulting, but it's true. Part of being a leftist means trying to make the world as you want it to be instead of how it is. Part of being a leftist is living in a world of make-believe. It just is. It's You live in a world that is not real. You want it to be real. And my goodness, half the time you bring up, you talk to a leftist on what they want. I want that world to be real. But it's not real. And it can never be real. And people were turning prisoners loose all over the country. All over the country, especially in these big leftist cities. They are throwing open the doors to the jails. There's a headline right here. This is from my friend Peter Hassan of the Daily Caller. Headline is, 37 minutes later, inmates released from jail due to coronavirus fears keep getting arrested again. Apparently, he walked out of court on zero bail and carjacked somebody 37 minutes after he walked out the front door of the courthouse. These, this is one of a million of these stories that have been printed in the past month or so. As these leftists have thrown open the doors of the jails and said, well, we can't keep them in here. It's dangerous to them. Los Angeles sheriff has seen an uptick in crime immediately and said, well, it's probably because we opened the jails. That's not good. You like to imagine in your mind that That guy has learned his lesson. That guy's in jail. He's got a new lease on life. I'm sure. Look, he's only in jail because the cops are bad. He's only in jail because he made one mistake. I'm sure he doesn't want to go back to his life a crime. These are all things you want to believe. But sometimes... No matter how it began, nature or nurture. You remember our Carmine Galante talk? That's who you are. You are who you are at some point. And that doesn't mean you can't be redeemed. It doesn't mean you can't turn it around. But it does mean you have to acknowledge the reality that they probably won't. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Over 40,000 people are dead. On a much worse note, we're in the middle of a gigantic economic contraction. 30 million unemployed, and that's a drop in the bucket compared to what we're about to face totally economically. You cannot then, because of your idiotic leftist sensibilities, throw open the doors of the jails and let every brand new Carmine Galante run free on society. I understand this is difficult for you to hear, leftists. I do. But sometimes, sometimes, you got to leave them in there forever.
The Jesse Kelly Show. On air and online at jessekellyshow.com. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.